Well, good morning. It is a blessing to be invited into this place, into this sanctuary where I have a long history and so many wonderful memories. Um, thank you so much for, for having me this morning. I want to share a story um, as told by the Reverend Garrett Kell about an experience he had that, you know, perhaps resonates with us. He says, I was reading in a coffee shop recently when I noticed a young man sitting across from me who was speaking angrily under his breath. His head was tilted downward and his body was tense and trembling. And as I watched, he began hitting himself in the arm and in the chest. And then he bit his hand so hard that I grimaced. And there I sat, completely unsure of how God wanted me to respond. I prayed, I asked for wisdom, but continued to sit, trying not to stare. The man seemed out of control, and I wasn't sure how he would respond if I approached him. While I remained paralyzed with uncertainty, a lady walked over to the man and knelt down by his chair and looked him in the eyes and said, Hello, my name is Lori. What's your name? She carried on a short conversation with him, asked him what his name was, what he was drinking, and then mentioned that she noticed he seemed to be upset. And she asked him if he was okay. And he smiled, but he looked away with a touch of shame and shared that he had Tourette's syndrome and he was just having a hard day. She thanked him for having talked to her and encouraged him to be careful, and she walked out the door and then headed to her car. I was moved by her courage and her compassion, so I caught up with her in the parking lot, trying not to be creepy, and you know, chasing down a stranger, and thanked her for the way she showed such love to the man she didn't know. She said, I saw everyone staring at him, but I just couldn't watch him struggling like that. I was afraid he might hit me, but I thought it would be better for me to risk being hurt than for me to just let him hurt alone. I thought it would be better for me to risk being hurt than to just let him hurt alone. I don't know if Lori was a Christian or not, but her love reflected Christ's love, and I was deeply rebuked. I want to speak this morning about what I'll call sacred risks, sacred risks. So often we turn to our faith for comfort and to find peace. And there is a time and a place for that. But there are also times when what is necessary is disrupting and disquieting. Sometimes, to be faithful to the will of God, we have to stir the pot. We have to do things that are a bit unconventional, a bit outside of our normal routine, like perhaps spending the night with the home guests, if you've never done that before. Sometimes we are called into sacred risk and subversive behavior for the sake of what is right and good. And as you start to think, uh-oh, I don't like what I'm starting to hear. I will confirm that we are going to grapple with the reality that there is a rift between our Christian intentions 
and our Christian actions. It does make us squirmy. And Jesus told a parable about that one time. A man lay wounded in a ditch and a priest walked by and a Levite walked by without helping, all the while thinking to themselves, but we really do care. We have good intentions. They had an opportunity to take a sacred risk, to do something disruptive to their habit and routine that put into action something they claimed to believe, and they were too afraid to do it, to go out on a limb. They were afraid of losing perhaps a moment of their time or the safety of their little bubble that kept out the shadow side of life. As Romans 12, 2 leads us to realize they chose conformity, not transformation. So the question I'm pondering is, what does it look like to be that person who does take sacred risks, who does let God lead them into bolder, more courageous ways of living the faith. I truly believe that the way of Jesus is meant to transform us, to change how we engage with others, and to change the world. And that's not too big of a statement. That is what Jesus is after. But far too many of us are no different for our faith. We go along with God as long as God goes along with us. And I have to push a little bit and get us to ask if, if God doesn't actually intend more with us as disciples of Jesus Christ. We come upon two women in Exodus 1 named Shifra and Pua, and they are midwives delivering the Hebrew women's babies in Egypt. And we remember that they came to Egypt in a time of famine because there was food to be had in Egypt thanks to Joseph and his barns full of grain. And for a time, Pharaoh had an understanding with these immigrant people, and it worked out. But then scripture declares, there arose a new king in Egypt who did not know Joseph, who did not have a relationship with the Hebrew people. And to him, they were foreign threats. And what did he do? He enslaved them. He forced them into forced labor. But they were a resilient people, scripture says. The more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied. Now Pharaoh hatches a scheme to deal with them. He summons Shifra and Pua, head of the midwifery guild, and commands them to, to kill any baby boys born to these Hebrew women and, and to make it look like they were stillborn to hide the crime. Well, there was no way they were going to do that. Their job, their calling in life, was to deliver life into the world and do everything necessary to make sure that life safely arrives. And so the midwives, bound now by law to kill those offending baby boys, commit one of the greatest acts of civil disobedience ever. They work ever so much harder to make sure every one of those baby boys lives. And we all recognize, right? We all recognize the price of disobeying a direct order from the king is death, right? You don't do that. 
And the midwives, they, they choose to love their own community and its future generations at the risk of their own lives. And each birth, they, they risk getting caught by an Egyptian who would turn them in. Right? Giving birth is not exactly a fast, quiet process where a midwife could quickly slip in and deliver a child and slip out again unseen. No, they had to work in public defiance of this command of Pharaoh. There was no hiding the screams of childbirth or labor that dragged on for 12 hours. Everyone knew what they were doing in the community, safely delivering baby boys. For the midwives, this was not a matter of, we might get caught. This was a matter of, we know we will eventually get caught, and we're going to deliver as many of those babies safely as we can until we get arrested. Every life is worth such a sacred risk. And off they go, defiantly and disquietly, transforming those lives rather than conforming to Pharaoh's laws. Well, as the number of baby boys in the community didn't decrease, Pharaoh had the midwives arrested and hauled in. And they had the opportunity to make their defense. This is my favorite part of the story. They concocted a spectacular and a cheeky lie, and they just laid it on him real thick, right? Well, they said, the Hebrew women are so vigorous. And the, the Hebrew word there implies something primitive, animalistic, right? Uh, the Hebrew women are so vigorous, they give birth before we can even get to them. And the king, he was afraid of the strength of these Hebrew people, so the midwives, they were just playing into his fears here. They said, you know, these women, these women are like animals. They pop those babies out just like that, and we can't get there in time. And that lie was so gutsy and could have made the repercussions even more dire and the king even more furious. But those midwives, they sold that lie. And the king bought it, and they survived. And he bought their lie because in his misogyny, he knew nothing about, quote unquote, women's matters. And the midwives, they just played that card to their advantage. And I title this sermon, Sacred Risks and Sanctified Lies. We don't normally believe lying to be ethical, but there are exceptions. And this is an exception. And I wonder if you could tell such a righteous lie. Would you risk getting caught in a righteous lie? Does your faith allow you to recognize that life is more important than truth? That's a loaded question. Would you? Does your faith allow you to recognize that life is more valuable than truth? We know in history, we, we've all learned the history of of people who are courageous in their sanctified lies. We know, we know Germans who hid Jews from the SS in Nazi Germany. We know they told those sanctified lies. No, there's no one in our house. We're not hiding anyone. We know homeowners on the Underground Railroad, Underground Railroad did the same. I 
personally know Christians who have sheltered undocumented immigrants in their churches and who have told ICE officers, immigration uh, enforcement officers, there's no one here by the name you seek. To follow Jesus is eventually to recognize that the world God imagines for us and the world we have now aren't fully compatible. And Christianity isn't a life choice that molds and shapes perfectly to our own preferred lifestyle and choices. At some point, Christ will press us to make a choice for something holy and life-giving and good and right and just for which we have to risk our personal preferences and risk non-conformity and risk angering the powers that be and risk upsetting the status quo. We are called to take sacred risks in Christ's name. And nothing will change if we don't. Very few of the two and a half billion Christians in the world are ever transformed by that kind of discipleship and that kind of faithfulness. But what if we were? Have you ever thought about what it would mean for human society on this earth if those bearing the label Christian were just even a little more willing to take one step outside of their comfort zone, seeking God's radical world of grace and justice and love, seeking that world which will not lower its standards to conform to those around us, but instead transform us to dare to seek and yearn for and uphold the ways of God for the good of all people. Would you be a part of that if we, Christians, collectively would risk a little more of what we're used to for the sake of the glorious vision God has for what could be? I believe faithful Christian service is all about taking sacred risks. And it doesn't have to be so radical as Shifra and Pua. In your life, it may be a sacred risk to do something like block off Sunday morning for worship when friends are expecting you to answer an invitation to brunch. It might be a sacred risk to distribute food to the hungry when you've got people in your life who staunchly believe the answer to hunger is, is telling others to get a third job or simply try harder. It might be a sacred risk to reevaluate your political affiliation, asking where Jesus' values are most present after being entrenched in a certain way for so long. It might be a sacred risk to volunteer here if you've kept religion at arm's length. It might be a sacred risk to read Bible stories with your children if your spouse doesn't join you in it. It might be a sacred risk to drop the reins of leadership and let someone ready to take a sacred risk pick them up in your place when you know you're just gonna make all the same comfortable choices. And perhaps you've been there and you've done all of those things and God has God's eyes set on something bigger for you. 
Maybe you will be the person to overturn tables in the temple or touch lepers or disarm Pharisees or lead the charge for some part of heaven to be implemented on earth. Maybe. There are times when God's will for us is comfort and peace. But there are equally times when what is necessary for the goodness of God to be manifest is disruptive and disquieting. Sometimes to be faithful to the will of God, we have to be willing to stir the pot. We have to do things that are a bit unconventional, a bit outside of our normal routine. Sometimes we are called into sacred risk and subversive behavior for the sake of what is right and what is good. And if anyone has bristled at any of my words, then I know I have risk enough with my words. And if it's all gone over smoothly, then I'm at fault. I haven't risked enough. I pray that the pews have become a little less comfortable and the vision of God for us a little more urgent and the conviction of faith a little more bold. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.